If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention, please, to the Gospel of Matthew. We're still in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 22. So Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 15, the title of the message today, Beware of False Prophets. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 15. The words of Jesus. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In Matthew chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14, Jesus had issued an invitation to his listeners for them to enter the straight gate and the narrow way which leads to eternal life. Now, in these verses of scripture, he warns his listeners that there will be those who will stand in the way of your entering that straight gate and that narrow way. Rather, they would encourage you and entice you to enter the broad way and the wide gate uh, that would lead to destruction because the wide gate, of course, is of a false way. The wide way is a false way. And here is a false prophet standing at the door leading you or misleading you into the wrong path. Sheep are known as slow-witted, defenseless creatures with a flock mentality. However, wolves are sly and cunning and working alone or in packs. And Jesus is warning his, his disciples and his leaders to watch out for these individuals who will be there to mislead you and to lead you astray. Jesus, in fact, predicted that in the last days, as you come to the end of time as we know it, the number of false prophets will increase greatly. There are two basic ideas that I want us to pursue today as we think about our needing to be aware of false prophets. They're printed out for you on your outline. I trust that you received as you came in this morning at the bulletin there. First of all, the false prophets that he was referring to. The word false means to pretend. It means an imposter. So an individual who is a false prophet is an imposter. He pretends to be real and genuine and true, but he is not. He is a fake. Now the Bible is filled with references to false prophets in both the Old Testament as well as in the New. 
But in the new, you'll find the term false used in various ways in reference to these individuals. For example, in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six, they are called false brethren. In 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, they are called false apostles. In 2 Peter 2, 1, they are called false teachers. In 1 Timothy 4, 2, they are called false speakers or liars. In Matthew 26, 20, they are called false witnesses. And in Matthew 24, 24, they are called false Christ. So you see throughout, especially the Old and the New Testament, many, many references to false teachers and prophets and, te- and, and, and preachers. The apostle John tells us in John, 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Also, Paul, when he was addressing the Christians at Ephesus, the elders on the beach near Miletus, this is what he said in Acts 20, 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears." So Paul was very much aware that in the end times, there would be those who would seek to mislead. And their actions are more dangerous than a tiger or a a scorpion or or even a, 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 a cobra. Those kinds of things can only hurt you physically. A false prophet will hurt you spiritually. And so Jesus said, beware. The New International Version says, watch out for them. The Good News Translation says, be on your guard. So false prophets were common in those days as well as in our own, motivated by money and fame or power. You can tell who they are because their teachings minimizes Christ and glorifies themselves. Take your Bibles, keep your place here at Matthew 7, 15. You're still in the gospel of Matthew, but just turn to the 24th chapter. The 24th chapter of Matthew records for us the words of Jesus in reference to a a response to a request that his disciples made about the end times, that is before the Lord will return. So in Matthew 24, beginning with verse 3, And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no man misleads you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and and they will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. And I've underscored and highlighted that expression in verse six in my Bible because of what we see going on in the world and really has gone on in the world since Adam and Eve were 
were uh, expelled from the Garden of Eden. There's been uh, enmity between ourselves and, and the devil, between righteousness and unrighteousness. And, and Jesus said toward the end of time, you'll, you'll see these things increase. And there will be wars and rumors of wars and nation turning against nation and, and children turning against their parents and parents against their children. It will be a very critical, difficult, dangerous time, a troubling time, he says. But see that you're not frightened. Don't be afraid, he says in verse six. For those things must take place, but that's not the end yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many, verse 11, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be presented and preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So Jesus is saying, yes, as the end comes, when it draws near and gets closer, there will be false prophets. So let's look at the false prophets. Let's look at some of their descriptions. Their descriptions, their discovery, and their destruction or destination. Their outward appearance. It says in verse 15, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Now this doesn't mean that they're gonna be dressed like sheep and go around saying bad like that, no. The actual meaning is they'll be dressed or appear as shepherds. Now, shepherds had the special clothing that they wore, and, and he's just saying by their outward appearance, they're going to be uh, looked upon as shepherds, as leaders, well-respected, well-dressed. Jesus has in mind here the garment of a shepherd. So false prophets do not deceive the flock by impersonating sheep, but by impersonating the shepherd. They promote the wide gate and the wide way and sheep's clothing. They appear to be the real thing. They talk about the Bible. They talk about God. They talk about Christ. They talk about the Holy Spirit. Some of them may even appear to be evangelistic. They have the walk and the talk and they give you the impression that they are very, very real. But in reality, they are dangerous. Not only their outward appearance, but notice their inward attributes. He says in verse 15, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. The word ravenous here, ravenous, ravenous. It literally means something or someone that is eager for food. He has in mind a wolf. When, when, a, when a wolf attacks a sheep, it's because he's hungry and he's very fierce in his attack. And, and he will tear and rip the sheep apart and he will devour the sheep because of his hunger. He, he's eager to be fed. Uh, he, he is eager to be satisfied with the food. And that's what he is saying here about these false prophets. Most of the translations, instead of translating the word as ravenous, translates the word as a swindler. He's a swindler. He is an extortioner. He robs and steals, but he does it through a deceptive method 
In Luke chapter 18 and verse 11, Jesus talked about the two people who went to the, to the temple to pray. And, and here is this one fellow, the Pharisee. And he says, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Wasn't praying to the Lord, he's praying to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterous, or even like this tax collector over here. But he includes the word swindler in his list of people that he's proud he's not like. That's the same word that's used here by Jesus in talking about the wolves. They are swindlers. They deceptively steal and rob. In 1 Corinthians 5.10, Paul said, the immoral people of this world uh, are with the covetous. He says, I will not be with them or, or with swindlers or idolaters. And, and then you would have to go out of the world. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brethren. If he is immoral, covetous, an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, or a swindler. Paul says, don't associate with those kinds of people. False prophets appear to be shepherds wearing sheep clothing, but in Reality, inwardly, they are swindlers. Not only their deception, but their discovery. In verses 17 and 18, this is what Jesus said. Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So how do you discover and detect a person who is a false prophet or a false leader? Well, by their lifestyle, by, by what they do. How, how, what kind of fruit do they produce? The word fruit here refers to moral behavior. Notice he uses the word bad. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. The word bad there means rotten. A good tree will just not produce rotten fruit, nor will a rotten tree produce good fruit. Notice four things about their discovery. First of all, their character. False doctrine cannot restrain their flesh and so false prophet manifest wickedness. Just listen to these words of Peter. You don't have the time to turn to them and it's rather lengthy anyway, but very briefly listen to what Peter said in 2 Peter 2 verses 12 through 22 and I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. These false teachers are like unthinking animals Creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin and they all are well trained in greed. They live under God's curse. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackened darkness. They brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure uh, back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. 
So when, Peter, when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than when they began. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to his vomit and another says a washed pig returns to the mud. So they are deceptive and sly in their character, but not only in their character, but in their creed. Fruit here refers not only to the immoral deeds, but it also includes their doctrine, what they teach. And so a person speaking in the name of God is to be tested by the doctrine of the scriptures, the Bible, God's holy word. False prophets never reveal the truth or the danger of sin and depravity or the need for repentance. You'll never hear them saying, you need to repent. You need to trust Christ. You need to be forgiven. You need to be submissive to the Lord or talk about judgment and the judgment day that is to come. You'll never hear them talking about those things. The creed of the false prophet, if he has any at all, will be vague and indefinite. Arthur Pink declares any preacher who rejects God's law, who denies repentance to be a condition of salvation, who assures the giddy and the godless that they are loved by God, cannot be a true minister of Christ. So their character and their creed, what they teach is false. And their converts, their converts are just like them. They are self-centered, unscripturally oriented, they are egotistical, proud, self-indulgent, self-willed, and self-satisfied, while at the same time being religious. Notice their conduct, not only their character and their creed and their converts, but their conduct. Notice what Jesus says in verses 21 and 22. Not everyone who says to me, and in verse 22, many will say to me, so they say one thing, but in reality, there's something else. So be weary of false prophets who smile a lot, dripping with practical sincerity. Chances are they're there to rip you off some way or another. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character whose preachers are in, uh, are is what a preacher is, what he is on the inside is more important than what he says, what he says. Notice in verse 23, when Jesus says for them to depart from them, he identifies them as being lawless. In other words, they break the law of God. So let me stop for just a moment and share with you what I consider and many others as well, not just me, but many false prophets who have appeared here in our own day and in our own time. Again, listen to what 1 John chapter four says. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to be speaking by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit that has come from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they are, are the Spirit of God or false. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. So the cardinal rule of knowing whether or not a person who claims to be a prophet, a, a leader, ask him what he believes about Jesus. Does he believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Does he believe that Jesus Christ came in this flesh? Do they believe that he is 100% God and 100% man simultaneously? 
not just at one point was a human and then became God or at one point was God and then suddenly became. No, what do they believe about Jesus? What do they believe about the cross and about the atonement and salvation and repentance? What do they believe about Jesus Christ? Now, there are many who have appeared who have claimed to be Christ. The Reverend Moon of the Unification Church, for example, Moon was a self-appointed Korean evangelist. His followers believed that he was Christ. He even asked them on many occasions, who do you say that I am? And they all responded, you're Jesus Christ. They believed that Jesus should have sought out an ideal wife when he was here on the earth, got married and started a whole Newman race, uh, but uh, he got mistreated. Uh, steps aside, he was misled, he got crucified, wasn't intended to be crucified, he was murdered, things got out of hand, he lost control of everything, and so now Reverend Moon has appeared and he is going to be the fulfillment of all that God intended for it to happen. He said on one occasion, I want to have members under me who are willing to obey me even though they have to obey their own parents and the presidents of their own nation, and if I gain half of the population of the world, I can turn the whole world upside down. And he found many followers, many followers. You may remember Jim Jones and his people's temple. Back in 1961, he went to a man who was known as Father Divine. He lived in Philadelphia. And Father Divine claimed to be a manifestation of God. And so Jim Jones from that time believed that he had that same kind of power. He cried out from the pulpit on many occasions, who am I? And the people responded, you're Jesus Christ. In their hymn books, the name of Jim Jones was substituted for the name of Jesus Christ. 900 people followed him all the way to Guana, New Guinea, excuse me, and, and there they committed suicide by drinking poison Kool-Aid. David Koresh, down here in Waco, Texas, had a following, the Davidians, and he misled them. And eventually, as you know, uh, uh, the building was set on fire and uh, caught on fire and, and all of them perished. But he led, misled all of those people. There was another man by the name of Marshall Applegate. He was known as Do, D-O, the infamous Heaven's Gate cult. They believed that a comet was going to come by and if they had lived just right, they could catch hold of the tail of the comet and be swept off into heaven. Jesus warned the faithful, see to it that no one misleads you. Let me get a little more closer, perhaps, different denominations. Again, I'm not trying to just attack these individuals, but point out to you, what is the carnal, the, 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 the test that you, that you give to see whether or not they are of the Lord? Who is Jesus? Take the Christian scientist, for example. The Christian scientists believe that Jesus is the human man and Christ is the divine idea. The virgin mother, Mary, conceived the idea of God and gave to her the ideal man named Jesus. Jesus was the offspring of Mary's self-conscious communion with God, whatever all that means. Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. He was the first son that Jehovah God brought forth. Michael, the archangel, is no other. He, he, he is Jesus. Michael, the archangel, is Jesus. Garner Ted Armstrong, World Church of Tomorrow, believed that Jesus was conceived by Mary. He was not the son of God. 
God the creator, who was Jesus Christ himself, will never equal God the Father. And yet Armstrong, even today, but under a man who, who took up the reins by the name of Pack, carries on his traditions. The Mormon church, Mormonism. Among the spirit children of Elohim, the firstborn was and is Jehovah, or Jesus Christ, to whom all others are juniors. By obedience and devotion, he attained to the pinnacle of intelligence which ranked him as God, even in his pre-existent state, Jesus Christ was the executive in the work of creation and in the work of creation, he was aided by Michael, whom they considered to be Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Peter, James, John, Joseph, Smith, and others who believe helped Jesus create the world. The unity belief, the Krishna, the Krishna of the Hindu is the same as Christos of the Greeks and the Messiah of the Hebrew, that is the leader of the Hebrew people and the Jewish people and the Greeks and all and the Hindu people, they're all the, it's all the same person, they just call them a different name. The Unification Church. As a man, Jesus Christ was no different from us, except for the fact that he was without original sin. He was the one who lived God's ideal in fullest realization. He attained the purpose of creation in light of his attained deity, he may well be called God. Nevertheless, he can by no means be called God himself. The death of Jesus was neither his will nor his fault. It was murder and his body was taken off by Satan. Christ will be born in a country in the east and will place a seal on the foreheads of the 144,000 and Korea shall be the nation that can receive the Lord on the second advent. Even in the spirit world, after his resurrection, he lives as a spirit man in all of his disciples. <laughs> now, does all that, how does that compare to scriptures? Well, it doesn't ring true to me. I, I believe this book here is the word of God. I, I believe that it is without error, without mistake, and it is truth. I accept it by faith. I believe in Jesus Christ. He is the only unique, one-of-a-kind, beloved son of God, 100% man, 100% God. He died on the cross to save you from your sins. You're not saved by baptism, by living a good life. You're saved through repentance of your sin, turning to Jesus Christ, accepting him and committing yourself to the Lord Jesus and him and him alone for salvation. But these other individuals, and there may be others. And uh, if you get offended by what I've said, well, you can come apologize to me later. Now notice a fourth thing, and that is their destruction. These false prophets, what will be their destruction? Well, Jesus says three things about their destination. In verse 19, he says they're going to be cut down. And in verse 19, he says they're going to be thrown into the fire. What fire is he talking about? Hell fire, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the lake of fire. Their destination will be hell. They will spend eternity in hell. And you'll notice the last thing he says in verse 23 is, depart from me. Depart from me. I, I, look, I looked how the other translations rendered this expression, depart from me. The New Living Translation says, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Can you imagine Jesus Christ who loves us, who cares for us, who died for us, yet having to say to certain people, just get away from me. You love to break God's laws. The J.B. Phillips paraphrase says, go away from me. You have worked on the side of evil. The, new, the NIV says, away from me, you evildoers. 
The New English Bible says, then I will tell them to their faces, I never knew you. Out of my sight, you and your wicked ways. So their destination will be hell. I think some of, you know, sometimes you, you, you read a list of some of the saddest words that have ever been said. I think the saddest words that you could ever hear would be for the Son of God to look at you in the face and say, get away from me. I never knew you. My, 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 get away. I never knew you. But notice not only false prophets. Notice false professions. Notice in verses 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, they will enter. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers who practice lawlessness. Notice their empty words and their empty works. Not everyone. Now that expression does say to me that there will be some who are genuine. So he's not making a blanket statement here that everyone who says this and everyone who do these things are not real. No, he says not everyone. Oh, there'll be some, but not everyone. Not everyone who says to me, not everyone in those days I will have to say to them, get away. Now notice he calls himself Lord, L-O-R-D. And that would refer to his deity. He is Lord. And as such, it refers to his right and has the authority to pass judgment. None of us else, no one else has that authority. I don't have the, the authority to pass judgment on you. We've already looked at that in the Sermon on the Mount. Judge no one. Yet we're to be discerning. We can look at the fruit that they produce to see whether or not they are of the Lord. But ultimately, all judgment rest in the hands of Jesus himself. He is the Lord. You remember Paul when he was at Mars Hill and he said that God has appointed a day in which he will judge the unrighteous and he's appointed that man whom he has raised up from the dead. Well, who has God raised up from the dead who was raised from the dead never to die again? So far, it's only been Jesus. So Paul was talking about Jesus. All judgment has been given to Jesus. He will be the one who will judge. And now he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I tell you to do? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody who's talking about heaven's going there, folks. Just because they have a good talk, you better match it up with their walk. Just because an athlete brags from his mouth about what a great athlete he is doesn't necessarily mean, you know, action speaks louder than words. And this is what Jesus is saying. They have empty words, Lord, Lord, Lord. Notice not only empty words, but empty works. He mentions three things here in, verses 22, in verse 22. He says, many will say to me and they that, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles in your name? Well, folks, let me remind you that it is important to remember that the word of God is more important than any miracle that anybody could ever perform. This book right here is more important than anything else you'll ever see in life. But how do you explain? How do you explain how these people 
uh, could uh, perform these miracles and do these prophecies and, and, and so forth? Well, it's nothing new. Let, let, me give, let me give you some references here. Do you remember in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers chapter 23 about Balaam and how Balak, the king, he was so upset that the people of Israel were marching across his kingdom land and he hired Balaam to go. He said, I want you to go out there and I want you to curse the people of Israel because they've intruded on my land. And so Balaam goes out there, but the Bible says that when Balaam opened his mouth, he couldn't curse them. He blessed them. And it says that when he went back to explain to Balak, who called him on the case, he said, I gave you money. You were supposed to go out there and curse them. You blessed them. And this is what Balaam said. What I told you to curse my enemies and Balaam responded, must I not be careful to speak what the Lord has put into my mouth? How was he able to do that? God gave him the words in his mouth. God gave him the words. He was not a strong believer in the Lord. He wasn't even a true believer in the Lord. And yet God put the words in his mouth to speak. Well, if that's not the only time, King Saul. We know about King Saul, how he was the first one to be the, the king and ruler over Israel. But he, he was an apostate. Uh, he, he, it says in 1 Samuel 10, 10, that the spirit of God came upon him and, and Saul prophesied. Prophesied doesn't say what he prophesied, but, it, but that he prophesied, he spoke for God. In fact, if you go back and read 1 Samuel chapter 10, where, where it says that, that, that people said of him, is he a prophet? His father wasn't a prophet, but, Samuel, but Saul was a prophet. He prophesied. And then there's this third one over in John eleven fifty one, the high priest Caiaphas unwittingly and unintentionally prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation of Israel. So here are three examples of individuals who were empowered by God to speak for him. So it could be, and probably would be, and will be in the end times that some of those false prophets will speak the truth empowered by God. But there's a second possibility that they will be able to do that by Satan's power. Satan is powerful. Satan can do many things and he can perform many miracles. And Jesus predicted that false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead even possible, if possible, the very elect. There is a man in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts by the name of Siva, S-C-E-V-A. He was an unbeliever. He was a pagan. He uh, uh, was an exorcist. He was able to cast demons out of people. He made his living by casting demons out of people. But he was not a believer. He was not a follower of Christ. He was full of the devil. And the devil empowered him to do that. In Mark chapter 9, verse 38 through 40, we're told about apostles who cast out demons by the power of Satan. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
Paul talked about the false signs in the last days and the lying wonders of Satan. That Satan will put lies in the people and the prophets that follow him and they'll speak lies. In Acts chapter 8, there was a satanic sorcerer who performed magic tricks by the devil. And yet it also says in Acts chapter 8 verse 13 that he became a believer. But prior to his becoming a believer, the authority and the power by which he was able to perform miracles was given to him by the devil. By the devil. And today there are miracle workers and healers and exorcists who claim to work for Jesus Christ, but they are satanic deceivers. And the third possibility is this, that some will claim these things and they're simply lying. Simply lying. How are you going to prove that they, they couldn't do those things? You weren't there when they did them. They just lied. They just boasted. The prophets, the prophecies, the exorcism, the miracles will be fake and contrived. And no doubt all three of these possibilities will explain how Jesus said these people will say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we perform miracles? Yeah, you did. Either God enabled you to do it or else the devil did or you're just plain lying. So let me uh, come to the conclusion and wrap all of this up. My time is up. So let me ask you something in conclusion. How can you know whether or not you're really saved? You say you're a Christian. Well, how do you know you are? What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? Whom are you trusting? Do you think that because you're religious, you're going to go to heaven? Do you think that you, you got baptized up here or in some creek somewhere or pond somewhere or in some other church you think baptism is going to get you to heaven? Do you think that simply because you're a church member, you walked down the aisle, took the preacher's hand and shook his hand and you sat down and you, you, you sit and soak and sour? You think that's going to get you to heaven, just be a church member? You know, when the Lord comes, he's going to look at a book to see who his children are, but it's not going to be a church membership role. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that there's a book of life and the Lord's going to open the book of life to see if your name's there. And he's going to ask you, what did you do with my son Jesus? And you say, well, I got baptized. No, I didn't ask you that. What did you do with my son Jesus Christ who died on the cross to save you from your sins? Well, I, got, I, I joined the church. I was religious. No. So what are you depending on to get you to heaven? To whom do you put your trust or in whom do you put your trust if it's anything in, or anybody other than Jesus Christ? It's not, I believe this Bible, but I'm not believing the Bible to get saved. I'm, I'm believing Jesus. I'm trusting the Lord. And then what about the fruit that is in your life? You know, if, if you're saved, salvation involves more than just saying a prayer. It involves more than just walking down the aisle and get your name on a church row. And then you just go out and live like the devil. If that's the kind of life you're living, folks, something's wrong. Because if you've been genuinely saved, you know, it's going to be like the measles. It's going to pop out all over you. And people will be able to say, you don't have to go around holding a sign, I'm a believer and I'm a follower of Christ. They'll be able to know by the way you live, 
by how you act, how you conduct yourself, what you say, as well as what you, how you walk. What kind of fruit are you producing in your life? Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and long-suffering, and so forth. 1 John 3.10 says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness